0: We well, take your sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and find the book of Nehemiah and come back to where we landed last week in the 8th chapter, Nehemiah, chapter 8, if you would. I had a good dad. I had a good dad, thankful for him. And most commonly when I would... Um, cause reasons for him in my youth to to warn me. He would do so and often even more than once before I pressed him into a situation where he would have to apply loving discipline uh, to my life. And as many warnings as I may have gotten, they would no way compare to the warnings that came to God's covenant covenant People, Israel through God's prophets. We saw some of that, I pray, last week as we made our way through the history of God calling Abraham to himself and the promises that he made and how he worked through history with a people that habitually resisted the messages of the prophets and abandoned worship of God alone and worship false gods in many, many evil ways, so that in time, true to God's promises and his faithfulness to a covenant people, the northern kingdom of Israel is scattered throughout the empire of Assyria in 722. And likewise, a couple of centuries later, not heeding God's warning in terms of what happened to the northern kingdom and the prophets that heralded a call to faithfulness to God to the southern kingdom of Judah. We saw the same thing happened in 586. Now, not the Assyrians, but now now the Babylonians. And one of the prophets to the southern kingdom was the weeping prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah predicted the fact that the people were going to be taken into captivity for 70 years. And he also predicted the fact that they would return to the land, to the land that had been, particularly Jerusalem, destroyed the walls and the city and the temple, but that there would be a time, and promised so, and even mentioned a name uh, 150 years prior to his coming into this world, Cyrus, a Persian king that would allow for people to return to the land. So while there was three groups deported from Babylon, or, excuse me, from Jerusalem to Babylon, three different groups, there's also be, be a return of three different groups from that particular area who would later come back into the land. One group with a, two leaders by the name of Joshua and, and Zerubbabel, about 50,000 people to make the long journey back to the city. And then about 80 years later, uh, Ar- Artaxerxes would allow this uh, priest, who is also a scribe by the name of Ezra, to come back and help them to be able to return to the, to the law. And a little less than 20 years later, a cupbearer to the king, would be burdened about the terrible condition of the city as well as the condition of the people, and he would make a trip back with a number of his entourage to get what done in the city of Jerusalem, to get the walls built. And when we get to chapter 8 in the book of Nehemiah, the people have been gathered together. The word has gone out that they're going to celebrate a certain day and and certain feast day that has not taken place perhaps for a couple of centuries. And they're gathered there at the, a certain place in, in the city to which is the first day. Well, we see that in the text, verse 2, the first day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar for a particular day that would initiate the Feast of Trumpets. And it was a solemn day to the people because of what's going to happen initiating this day and this month that involved other feasts as well. So it is a great day that they are coming back to in the land to be able to celebrate that which had not taken place for a long time. And it's summarized in chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. The word is going to be publicly read to the people who have been gathered together for this occasion. They're going to hear the law of Moses that was given to him by God. And we read about that in verses 1 through 3. It just summarizes it. And then we get to verse 4 and following. We have the details surrounding this particular sacred day. In fact, it's the year 444 BC. We are close to the close of the Old Testament. In fact, if you read that last book of your um, Old Testament, uh, Malachi, um, it, it describes, uh, describes for us the very condition of the people at this particular time, the spiritual condition, and it's, uh, it's not a good one. But now this is a great day. And in verses 1 through 3, let me read it. Notice, it says, And all the people gathered as one man, here they are, all together, thousands Someone guesstimated between 30 and maybe 50 at a maximum thousand people at a place within the walls that they could all gather together. All the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest, notice verse 1, he's mentioned as a scribe. Verse 2, he's mentioned as a priest as well. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women and all who could listen and understand on the first day of the seventh month. Men, women and all who were old enough to be there and listen and hear. Verse 3, he read from it before the square which was, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday and in the presence of the men and women and Those who could understand. And all the people, notice, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, I want us to see, and I want you to notice, I'm going to give you five words this morning that describe what takes place with the reading of the word in the lives of these people and has everything to do with how the word of God works in our lives as well. I want you to see it. And I I want you to notice, first of all, we just read it from the text. The first word that I would have you catch is, notice, at the end of verse 3, is attentiveness. They are attentive to the word. Obviously, if you get up that early in the morning and would be there ready and waiting to hear the word of God read throughout the entire morning, you would be giving some attention to that, I am sure. They are ready to listen they are eager to hear. And such was evident by their standing right there and anticipating what's going on. It's interesting that in verse 3, the word for attentive that we read is the word ear. And it's a form of uh, the word ear that describes the fact of giving one's ear fully to something. So they're really, they're really waiting To experience something I think many of them had not experienced in this manner, in this way, before. It reminded me of my friend in Texas who did the same thing that Pastor is doing likewise. He was working on his uh, doctoral dissertation uh, with Ligonier uh, Ministry there with R.C. Sproul. And one of the classes that he took was taught by uh, D.A. Carson and it was a class focused on the uh, book of Hebrews. And the the guys had to read the book of Hebrews, and then D.A. Carson would read a verse from the book of Hebrews, anywhere in the book, and they were to write down chapter and verse. And D.A. Carson runs a pretty tight ship when he teaches a class, and he said to the men immediately, I'm going to read the verse once, and do not ask me to repeat it. And he would read it, and they would have to write down the the chapter and the verse. That means they were pretty attentive, I would suspect, to what he was doing. Would you agree with me? I think that's the, the, the manner of the people here. They want to hear, they want to know, they haven't experienced this before. Would you agree with me today, just in general, would you agree with me that the scriptures will have most likely have its greatest impact upon your and my life when we have prepared our heart and are ready and attentive and eager to hear it. Would you agree with me that that is significant? Can you say amen to that? What do we do, if I could even ask, to prepare ourselves For the word when we come. Now, when we go to the New Testament, here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to Pastor Timothy, and he's saying, Do just this in the church, right? He says, Until I come, give what? Notice we got the same word give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. We just did that this morning, did we not? To hear the public reading of the word. So they're ready to listen. Attentiveness, that makes sense, does it not? Then I want you to notice what takes place now, specifically in verses 4 down through verse 6. And I'm going to give you a second word, if I may. And the response we're going to see to what they hear is a reverent response. So we would write down, if you're taking notes this morning, the word reverence. The people will hear, ready to hear God's word, And they're going to respond in a reverent manner to it based upon what they believe the word is from God. So verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood at the wooden podium which they'd made for the purpose. And beside him, six on one side, seven on the other side, were 13 men. And I'm not going to read all those names. You can if you'd like. But there is 13 men there, and we're not told what they were later. There's another group that are described as Levites. So I think these men standing there with Ezra are priests. Perhaps they were leaders of the people, but I think they were priests who would represent the word of God to the people. Some 13 different names that are mentioned there. And there has been a platform that has been prepared. We see that for Ezra to stand a little bit higher for his voice to to go out because of all the several hundred if thousand several thousands of people that are there waiting to hear. So, verse 5 then, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, remember it's a scroll, for he was standing above all the people and when he opened it, all the people what they all stood up. Some had been sitting. I don't think that long chairs, but it was a long morning, right? Some had been sitting, if not all. But now they are to stand up. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Notice, he didn't bless the people. He blessed who? He blessed God concerning what's going on here. And all the people answered. And the idea of the word is, so be it. It is so. It's true. They answered, Amen. And amen. And while lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Here is their response to the word as they are hearing it and as, as Ezra is blessing the Lord. Take your Bible, if you would, not as many passages to turn to today, but I do want you to turn to Psalm 101. Psalm 103, Psalm 103, and Psalm 104, if you would. I think there's a good possibility these might even be the particular verses that Ezra read when he blessed the Lord. See how Psalm 103 begins? Are you there? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are great. Notice the text said back in in Nehemiah 8, the great God, the great Lord. Notice, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. Perhaps it was one of these particular psalms that he uses to bless God and the people in reverence respond in such a way to Him. D. Campbell says when they bowed their hands, their heads, and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, showing their devotion and adoration for the Lord, they were also demonstrating willing submission to His authority. Another psalm we might think of at this moment, Psalm 96, 6 and 7, come let us worship and what? And bow down. Kneel before the Lord our maker. He is our God and we are the people of his pasture. I believe that the people knew some of these psalms and they are responding biblically to having blessed God by Ezra for his greatness and his majesty. And the people respond then, With amen to that, it it is so. Uh, Dr. Boyce has an interesting thought about this concerning uh, something that takes place even today. I'm going to read it for you. I know it's small print, but he says, I noticed that people stood when Ezra opened the scroll. And that reminds me of something that is still practiced in many churches in Scotland. It's customary in Scotland churches for the service to begin by the entrance of a man called the beadle. He enters carrying the Bible, which he places on the church's pulpit, and then opens to the day's reading, after which he escorts the pastor-teacher then to the pulpit. The important thing about this ceremony is that the people stand when the beetle enters with the Bible and they remain standing until it is open and the pastor teacher has taken his place behind it with the implied but obvious assignment then to expound it. And and we pick up on this today, don't we? Why, why, Why do we stand up for the public reading of the word? We're demonstrating our response of reference to the word, because we believe, I trust as they believe, that when we hear from the word, we hear from God. When the word speaks, God speaks. And it's a very serious thing to stand in God's presence and to hear his word. Therefore, the reverent response to it, I believe, is a good thing and that we would continue to do so. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul to that great church at Thessalonica. So many great things about their faithfulness to God. He says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. Well, that was true of the Thessalonians, and I trust it's true of us likewise. And here that reverence is seen and expressed by the way the people bow and worship the Lord in light of what's about to take place. Let me give you a, a third word that is significant to what happens here with In verses 6 and 7. And that is the word understanding. Understanding. What do I mean by that? Well, would you note with me in verses 6, excuse me, verses 7 and 8. What takes place next among the people. Also, and now we have another 13 names. And I'm not going to read these 13 names. Except to say that it says in verse 7, they are Levites. Levites. Levites assisted the priests in serving the people in the word of God and all that took place in the worship of God at temple. So the Levites, notice at the end of verse 7, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So this idea of reverence to hearing the scripture leads to the necessity of understanding it based upon someone explaining it or expounding the word. Now, if Dave would have got up this morning for the public reading of the word, grateful that he did, so grateful for his prayer, if he would have got up and he would have carried his Biblica Hebraica, and he would have opened it up, perhaps, to one of those psalms, or even Nehemiah 8, and he would have read the Hebrew text. It would have been beautiful to hear the Hebrew when it's read. It's beautiful language to hear it read. But we would have a problem, because hearing it read, we wouldn't have we wouldn't understood. It. Yes. And the people, the bulk of these people, the vast bulk of these people who came out of captivity in Babylon, they, they spoke Aramaic. And Aramaic was the, the commercial language understood among the people. So the bulk of them very likely are hearing the Hebrew text being read, but they don't understand it. Now I think some, to some degree, had because it seems that the synagogues had their early history there in the captivity, and perhaps many of them had even learned their ABCs from Psalm 119 and, and the Hebrew text. But very likely, most of them were like me. I was, had to take Hebrew, and like Pastor had to do, seminary had to take Hebrew and study the text and be able to translate it. But if I would hear someone read it and speed through it, I would catch some words maybe. But I wouldn't follow along and be able to clearly understand it. So what did they do? It would seem that periodically then Ezra would have ceased reading the text. He would stop and these priests and these Levites then would go among the people and they had early copies, very likely studying under Ezra the scribe, a section from the word that he was going to read, or they had recited sections of the law. They would repeat it to the people, and then they would explain it to the people so that the people could understand it. And here we have a pattern. In modern vernacular, this is the pattern of what is called exposition of the scriptures to read the scriptures, give the meaning of the scriptures. What do the scriptures mean? They mean what they mean for, by what they say. And then to explain or develop the meaning of the scriptures in terms of instruction to the people that includes application of it in terms of, okay, in light of what God says, here's what God would have us to do. It makes you think, I would hope it would make you think this morning about James' admonition that we talk about all the time. We, we repeat it, don't we? James says, do not just be a hearer of the word, but be a what? Be a doer. Well, that's what's going on right here. One writer says, quote, what happened at the Watergate set the pattern for Protestant exposition and its emphasis upon systematic exposition of the word of God. Alexander White, the famed Scottish preacher, said from Chrysostom to Calvin to Matthew Henry to the prince of preachers, Spurden, their pulpit life followed Ezra's plan. So here, here here's we have that, that model for us in history and in terms of what we seek to do here. Likewise, to be God's kind of church is to do expository preaching. Notice I didn't say depository. I said expository preaching of exposition of the scriptures. That's what pastor is going to return to next week in the Gospel of John. That is a unique thing in the church as a whole today. To come to the Word, go to the next section in the Word of God, doesn't mean it can't ever be topical. But to come to it, to read it, then to develop it, to explain it, to expose it to God's people that we can understand it and we can apply it and we can live it to the glory of God. What a pattern we have here with these people. This is what we're committed to. This is what Pastor did a couple of weeks ago from Psalm 1. He said he laid out for us from the text, explaining the text, here's the path of the blessed life based upon the word of God. That's what he's going to continue to do in the gospel of John, and by the grace of God, that's what I'm seeking to do today, right from the word of God. Now, I want to stop for a moment, and I want you to think about the fact of, why are you here? Why are you here? There should be a main reason you are here. Not because we have very soft seats, not because we have good ushers, and, We love each other and we love to be, and there's all these blessings and all these benefits of the word of God, right? Of the people of God, of the church. But there is to be a main reason we come together to worship God based upon the hearing of his word. That requires then, likewise, the benefits and blessing of someone who's prepared to do that. Now, from time to time... Over the years, I've heard people say to me, "Pastor Kevin, I just cannot understand the Bible." So'rry to read the Bible. I can't understand it. Well, I want to do a three-part message on that someday, but the first thing I want to say about that is, respectfully, one thing to be considered is, maybe you can't understand the Bible because you don't know the author. Because understanding the word begins with knowing the one who gave us the word, the very God of heaven. And that means the gospel. That means Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh, and what he did on a cross for sinners to redeem us, forgive us of our sin, and guarantee us a home in heaven. Are you saved? Have you trusted in Christ? That is imperative to understanding the word because we're in chapter 1450. The Holy Spirit then comes into the life of a believer when you're saved and helps you. As your helper, your teacher, what? Understand the scriptures. So if you're a believer, you can always gain something from the scriptures. And you will always find other things you yet do not know. And that's because it is the word of God. It is rich. The other thing is, exactly what's happening with these people. The great benefit of the church is to come and hear someone who's labored throughout the week in the word of God, to grasp its meaning and its understanding, to be able to convey it to God's people, to hear it so we can be built up in the word of God. That's the benefit of the church. That's the primary, including our worship, of the benefit of the body of Christ, the church. And a church that does this is a unique church. I'm not just trying to brag upon ourselves, but is a unique church in Evangelicalism today. Enough said. Enough said about that. So they have to understand the scriptures so that they would know it in order to understand how it relates to them. Let me give you another another word. Oh, statement about Spurgeon. Listen to this. When Spurgeon came to London, he found that the people were so starved that a morsel of the gospel was a treat to them. He began expounding the scriptures. A remarkable work for the Lord took place. People were saved week by week without the need of an evangelist. Years later, when Spurgeon died, it was said that the people in his congregation knew more of their Bibles than the theologians. The key to Spurgeon's success lay in his exposition of the word of God. He taught it, the people heard it, and applied it to their lives, as James says, And the results was a continued movement of the spirit in their midst. And that's going to take place wherever the word of God is faithfully expounded. And we trust it has and a continual will take place even right here. All right, another word that takes place in the next verses, and it's the word conviction. It's the word conviction. How does the word work? It brings conviction by going to and exposing conviction the heart, the inner life, does it not? And that's exactly what took place with these people as I read in verses 9 down through verse 12. You ready? 9 through 12. Conviction of the word of God in their lives. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And then he he said to them, go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. I love that, don't you? So the Levites calmed all the people saying, "Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved." And all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions and to celebrate this particular first day of the Feast of Trumps, a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Well so why were the people weeping? Why was there such brokenness among the people? Why? Because now they heard the word, they understood the law read, and how they had suffered as a people for all of their sin and rebellion. All of their unfaithfulness to God. They looked back upon their history with great grief. What have we done? What happened to us? What happened at this city? They could see it from the law and how God had been abandoned. And their conviction led to contrition of soul. What do I mean by that? To grief. To grief. You know that. You know that when you sin, it brings conviction to your soul and it brings discomfort. And even grief. Why did I do that? Oh, Lord. And the joy of being able to confess and acknowledge and be cleansed again. But remember Romans 3:20 says through the law comes a knowledge of what? Sin. And hmm. their grief over this. In Psalm 51 David confesses. Oh my, David speaks of his absolute misery concerning his sin and he he confesses it and he pleads for cleansing. Lord, uh, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Yes. But also he says in verse 17 of Psalm 51 that the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. If it's, a, if it's a contrition that leads to confession that moves to repentance, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Can I say it another way? When our sin doesn't bother us, we're in real trouble. We're in real trouble. So this is... Makes us think of a familiar verse of Hebrews 4.12, doesn't it? This is the word at work in our lives. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God, as it's gone, as it's heard, attentive heart, someone who knows the Lord, hears the word, reads the word, hears the word taught, hears the word preached. It will bring conviction to us. That's a good thing. That is a good thing when it results in our right response to it. Sometimes it just confirms the reality that you're seeking to please the glory, please the Lord in all of this. And that's why I think it relates to the fact the joy of the Lord is our strength. They're saying to the people, "Listen, rejoice. We're back in the land. We're doing what God wants us to do right now. So rejoice. Rejoice over this. So it's a two-edged sword, isn't it? There's the reality of our contrition when we have sin, but we know that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? So there's a blessing of that. There's a flip side of that. Likewise, when we're in the word of God and seeking to be faithful to the word of God, there's a joy in knowing that you're right with the God of the word. that's a wonderful thing. That's why he also said, to restore to me the what of my, of thy salvation. The joy of my salvation. Galatians 5, we're told that joy is a fruit of the spirit. The joy that they are experiencing is a renewed relationship with God. Joy in that they had not been abandoned by God. Joy is that fruit of the Spirit, comes with assurance of salvation. Joy is experience when we're walking with the Lord in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh, right? Joy is is knowing Romans 8, that there is nothing imaginable that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, Joy is knowing the beginning of chapter 8 that says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That should cause us all to rejoice. What a blessed fruit of the Spirit we experience from the Holy Spirit when we are seeking by God's grace with his help to walk in light of his word. This all leads to one other thing. You know what it is, but let me just express it. In this way, this all leads then to a desire to obey God. Obedience. That's what happens among these people. It prompts them to a desire to now do what they haven't done, and now they know what God wants them to do. That's a wonderful thing. Look with me at verse 13 and following. Then on the second day, the heads of fathers' households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra, described that they might gain insight into the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Call that the Feast of Tabernacle or Feast of Booths. So they proclaimed and, and circulated a, a, a proclamation all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out of the hill, in the hills, bring olive branches, wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it it is written so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves each on his roof and in the courts and in the court of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them the sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua the son of Nun in that day well here they are oh, that's what the word says. That's what we need to do. there, There it is. It leads to that in our lives, does it not? Not just to be a hearer, but a doer of the word. You know this verse, do you not? What did Jesus say? If you love me, you don't even need to look at the verse, do you? He said, if you love me, you what? You'll keep my commandments. Yeah, you'll do what I ask. You'll do what I say. This is where the blessing was for Israel when they would follow the law in obedience to God and be faithful to him. He said, I will bless you. And that would mark them as his people, a holy people set apart unto him and how they worshipped and how they lived. In order that the other nations of the world would see that Israel's God was the real God. And they would be a light unto the nations. Hmm, that didn't happen. That didn't change anything in God's plan because all of this is moving toward the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. How will you be glorified? How will God be glorified in your life? Jesus said, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Living for him, not merely out of duty, but out of delight and out of what Dave brought home in his prayer this morning. We love him because he what? First loved us. Out of love and a desire to live lives pleasing to him that reflect what the word of God has done in our lives this is what we're out about this is a pattern this is the pattern for us and so could i ask you this morning would you be able to give testimony how your life has been changed by the word of god in your coming to christ if any man be in christ he's a new creation And you could give testimony today because that didn't happen to you apart from the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So you heard, maybe repeatedly like in my case, you heard the word, but there was a time God brought that word to bear upon your heart and you were made a new person and God moved you from death, spiritual death, into life. And light in Jesus Christ. And can you give testimony of that today? And if you can't, I'd like to talk with you afterwards. Or anybody who's even listening right now. Because Christ is the only way to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But would you also give testimony how the word is continuing continuing to work in your life? transforming you, renewing your mind, conforming you day to day more into the image of Christ. And you rejoice in what he's doing. You're sure not what you want to be, but you are not what you once were. And he's continuing to work, and he's doing it through the power of the word. The word does in our lives what nothing else ever can or will do in us. Now, I'm going to leave here today hungry. How about you? But Jesus said what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is our life. This is food to our soul. This is our strength. This is our joy in growing in our knowledge of God through the word and seeking to live lives that are pleasing to him. Can you say amen to that? Father, thank you for this text and this pattern and be able to read it and see the power of the word and the lives of these people. And it never returns void without accomplishing its perfect purpose in our lives and even in our testimony to others. May we be people of the book. May we come hungry and ready and attentive to hear it. May we believe this morning that it's not a a preacher teacher's job to get our attention. Our attention is ready. We come, we gather to worship. And to hear from you, our hearts are eager. We are listening with our hearts all that we can. As the psalmist said, give me understanding that I might observe your law and keep it with all my heart. That is our desire. You're so worthy of it. Thank you for what you've done in us and for us and through us. Through the word and because of our great savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And together all of his people said, amen. And based on the text,